the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. Luke is a collection of eyewitness accounts that speak of the bodily life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Many people followed Jesus after seeing the miracles he performed and his treatment towards the religious leaders of the day. But people left when Jesus called his disciples to live solely for God, giving up all other causes. Jesus warned the people of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He warned the people not to be afraid of them, but rather, they were to fear God. They were to guard against covetousness. Jesus then warns them to guard against being unwatchful of his imminent return. We continue with Pastor Will in Luke chapter 12, verse 41. Now, verse 40 should have ended the discussion. I mean, Jesus doesn't have anything else to say, per se, that he's, said every, all, he's put all his thoughts out there on the topic of covetousness, worry, being vigilant, being prepared for his return. But Peter, in verse 41, he asks a question that requires Jesus to give a bit of a heavier explanation. In verse 41, then Peter said unto him, Lord, do you speak this parable unto us or even to everyone? And the Lord said, well, who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give him their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. And if that servant say in his heart, oh, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken, well, then the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looks not for him and at an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much of him they will ask the more. We start with Peter's question here, and it's an interesting question. The phrase to us is emphatic in the Greek, so Peter actually said something along the lines of, you talking to us? Or are you talking this parable to everybody? He starts with that, that idea. Are you talking to us? Or are you telling this parable to everybody? Why would Peter ask a question like that? Some think he was concerned that Jesus was offering these blessings to, to those that might come after Peter, and he thought that wasn't fair because they'd left everything to follow Jesus. So he wanted to clarify, Jesus to clarify that they were special. Peter does that a couple times, other times in the Gospels. Others think, and I lean this way, that Peter was thinking, well, Jesus surely can't be talking about us needing to be vigilant and against covetousness or worry or become prepared for his return. I mean, we've already left everything to follow him. I tend to lean that way, but who knows? You can ask him when you get there. And if you go to heaven before me, you can have a big sign saying I was right or Pastor Will was right. I think it's interesting when, as you read the verses that come after, it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't really answer Peter's question. You're talking to them or us? Jesus simply defines what a faithful and ready servant looks like. And this is important. He's not talking about how to get saved here. He's talking about what a saved person does. That's what he's talking about here. I want to read to you something from J.C. Ryle because he says it way better than I could. He said, this lesson 
is one which is greatly needed in the churches of Christ. We hear a great deal about people's intentions and hopes and wishes and feelings and professions. It would be well if we could hear more about people's practice. For it is not the servant who is found wishing and professing, but the servant who is found doing whom Jesus calls blessed. This lesson is one which many unhappily shrink from giving and many more shrink from receiving. We are gravely told that the talk of working and doing is legal and brings Christians into bondage. Remarks of those kind should never move us. They savor of ignorance or perverseness. For the lesson before us is not about justification, but about sanctification. Not about faith, but about holiness. The point is not what a man should do to be saved, but what ought a saved man to do. For the teaching of Scripture is clear and express upon this subject. In Titus 3.8, a saved man ought to be careful to maintain good works. The desire of a true Christian ought to be to be found doing. So as we read through this, I realize it's a heavy portion of Scripture. But the point is, Jesus isn't telling Peter who he's talking to. The point is, be a faithful and trusted servant be a faithful and wise servant. So as we go through this, let's make that our choice and our desire. So in verse 42, Jesus gives the answer not to Peter in the sense of who he's talking to, but he says, who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Steward here, the faithful and wise steward, the steward position is the middle position between the the owner of the home and the servants, if they had servants. So this was the one who was kind of given the responsibility to oversee the servants and the general just productivity of the home throughout the day. Depending upon how good of a person did at that job depended on what you entrusted them with. Here Jesus says, who is this faithful and wise servant whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion in due season. In other words, who is that trusted servant that the master gives full reign over the entire house affairs? He's going to tell us what that's like. It's interesting, if you actually read it literally, it's literally, who is that faithful steward, the wise man? Jesus has used that term, a wise man, in other sermons to refer to a person who hears his word and lives it out, right? The wise man built his house upon a rock. He heard the word of God and did it, right? This is a lesson that Peter and we need to grasp from Jesus' teaching here. We need to be a wise man. We need to hear God's word and do it. We need to be trusted servants. And here's how. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. That faithful steward, the wise man, is the one that his Lord, when he comes, shall find him so doing. What's so doing? Faithfully handling the house affairs. I don't know what house affairs God might have placed you over. I don't know what giftings he's given to you. We'll get into that a little bit later. But the point is that when the Lord returns, he finds him faithfully handling what he was entrusted with. That's what he finds him doing. That's what it means to be a faithful steward, a wise man. And Jesus says, of a truth, I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, Paul gives a kind of like a doxology where it says, you know, if we, if we suffer with him, we'll reign with him. You know, if we deny him, he'll deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot, you know, deny himself. That phrase there though, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. That's a promise. That's a promise of a truth. It's true. I say unto you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. You know, if we are faithful with God and trust to us here, we're going to rule and reign with him there. Amen? 
Peter, he's basically saying, you've followed me this far, but whether you see my return or not, you need to follow me to the end. That way, if I do return in your lifetime, I'll find you doing what you're supposed to be doing because that's what trusted servants do. And as a result, you will reign with me forever, Peter. That's not legalism. That's not fear tactics to keep the disciples in line. This is truth. This is what we who have been saved by grace through faith alone should be doing. This is what those who are saved by grace through faith alone do. This is how Peter and all of us should conduct ourselves. Because there is a real danger that we will either let covetousness or worry choke out our spiritual growth like the parable of the sower talks about or we will not go on to maturity. There is a real danger that even if we've left everything to follow Jesus like Peter did, that we will lower our guard later on and we can't allow that in our lives. Jesus told Peter, become prepared, become prepared. And where do we find Peter later on in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus takes him off a little ways and he says, listen, this hour, it's rough for me. Pray, pray, pray for me and pray for yourselves that you enter not into temptation. Watch and pray, he says. And then he goes off and he prays to his father. When he comes back, what does he find him doing? First watch, sleeping. Second watch, sleeping. Third watch, sleeping. And then what does Peter do? Probably his worst memory ever in his life. He ends up in some failed attempt to rescue Jesus, cuts off the guy's ear, Talk about embarrassing, I can guarantee he wasn't aiming for the ear. I got this, Jesus! You know, and all the other disciples are going, yeah, we're out of here. That guy's leading the charge. Can't even hit a neck. And then, like me, if not you, after he blows it, follows Jesus from a distance because he knows that's where he's supposed to be is with Jesus, but he's scared. So he follows Jesus from a distance, denies him three times the last time calling down curses upon himself if he'd ever known Jesus. I guarantee you, Peter didn't wake up that morning saying, that's how this day is gonna go. That's how I want this day to go. But Jesus said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. He didn't. He slept. Now Jesus, when he saw him sleeping, woke him up twice. The third time, he said, sleep on. He wasn't angry with them. He just knew the pain they were gonna go through. He didn't kick him out of the discipleship group. He's like, now you're a B apostle or C apostle or whatever. You're not A apostle anymore. Jesus isn't trying to condemn anyone in this here, but he's urging us to watch and be vigilant so that we go on to maturity, that we can go on in sanctification and holiness and experience all that God has for us. That's a real danger we face of missing out on that. See, the Bible is littered with men and women who, who just didn't ever do this. You know, Samson had three things. I mean, take a Nazarite vow. I mean, it's not like it's hard to figure out. What is a Nazarite supposed to do? Three things. Touch dead things. You don't eat anything from the fruit of the vine, and you don't cut your hair. And if you read his story, he violates all three. Violates all three. At some point in time, he let his guard down to the point where we get to a situation that all of us are going, no, don't do it, Samson. Everyone knows except him. And he tells Delilah, it's my hair. Thinking somehow that just like when he ignored the honey in the, you know, that was in the corpse of the bear and he said, I'm hungry, I don't care. Or somehow when he ignored drinking wine, went and did it anyway, that he'd be fine now too. And the Bible says that, she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He got up as before and didn't know that the Lord had left him. Put out his eyes. Samson, whose life God had intended for so much more, ended in suicide. 
we all face the danger of not going on to maturity. So we need to have our guard up. We need to be sober. That's what a saved person does. And Jesus explains what an unprepared person looks like in verses 45 through 38. He says, but, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming, very different than the blessed servant, he says, and shall begin to beat the men's servants and maid servants to eat and to drink and be drunken. Then the Lord of that servant will come in that day and it says, will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. Now the word here, if, it's again a third class condition of lesser uncertainty. It's not that this is guaranteed to happen, that people will do this. It might happen, but it's not likely. It probably does happen, but it's not, not frequent. Most people who have given their life to Jesus don't do this, that verse 45 says. They don't go that route, but it's possible to. You probably know someone who has. And it's sad, isn't it? Those that you've shared the company with here, maybe even, and they're not walking with the Lord anymore, don't become part of that crowd. Be a trusted servant. How do you get in trouble, though? Well, you start off with, my Lord delays his coming. It starts with wrong doctrine. Wrong doctrine always produces wrong behavior. And part of being a trusted servant means understanding the Scripture correctly. At Calvary Chapel Orlando, we, in Calvary Chapel as a whole, we are pre-tribulational rapture. We believe Jesus will come to take his church out before the tribulation. In Luke chapter 21, he said, watch and pray therefore that you may be counted worthy to escape the time of tribulation that's going to come upon the entire earth. In Revelation chapter 3, he says that because you've kept my word, you have a little bit of faith, a little bit of strength, I'm sorry. He says, I will keep you from the time of testing that will come upon the earth. It's clearly a promise. It's available. But the idea that, and by the way, if you don't hold that view, it's okay. It's not a salvation issue. We can agree to disagree on that. But what view you take on that, and the reason why I do take a view on that, and I I believe it strongly, is because it will affect how you live. It will affect how you live. Because if you do not believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, you must reject the doctrine of imminency. The idea that Jesus can come back at any moment. If you're mid-trib, post-trib, whatever, if it comes at some point before the tribulation, that means Jesus cannot come back today because the tribulation has not started. He cannot. So at any point in time, wherever you fall in that category, and I'm not belittling you for believing that. We can agree to disagree upon that. But if you fall somewhere in that range, you cannot believe in the doctrine of imminency that Christ can come back at any moment. I think that's dangerous because it says that this servant, not the good one, is the one that says, my Lord delays his coming. And I'm never going to be found saying that. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11, it says, that day shall not overtake you like a thief in the night. Why? Because you're not of the darkness. You're not sleeping. You're not drunken. You're sober, right? This guy, we find him later on, he's drunken. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, it says, Beloved, when he appears, we, we do not know what, what we shall be, but we know this, that however he is, that's how we'll be. Beloved, now we are, are we the sons of God? And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. If Jesus can come back at any moment, I don't know about you, but it keeps me out of a lot of trouble. The reality that I want to be found so doing what pleases him and not what I'm being tempted to do right now has a purifying effect upon me. It does. Now, if you take a different view and you reject imminency, which you must if you take a different view, then you are saying, my Lord delays his coming and it will affect how you live. It will affect. An incorrect understanding of scripture is where the letting of the guard down of the guard starts. 
but eventually it leads to a spiritual lethargy and a spiritual laziness that ignores what it means to follow Christ. He begins to beat the men's servants and the maidens, to eat and to drink, you know, to love this present world, and then even to be drunken, to cross boundaries that you wouldn't have before. This is why Jesus asked if he would find faith when he returned. Iniquity and a lack of agape love will abound in what's called the church in the last days because we ignored this important teaching and we fell in love with the things of this life. Like Demas, we'll forsake the most important things because we love this present world. And when, you, when someone does that, that has consequences. The Lord of that servant, he will come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder, cut him in two, and will appoint him as portion with the unbelievers. One commentator said this image is so much the more fittingly chosen if we consider that the punishment to be threatened against a villain who first appeared to be faithful, but afterwards manifested himself as unfaithful and therefore was most miserably divided in heart that he will be cut in two. Divided. And in this portion will be with the unbelievers. The place of one's allotted share is what the portion means there. It's the same word used in Revelation 20 verse 6 to refer to believers' allotted portion. Unbelievers there, it means those who are the unreliable, the untrustworthy, the unfaithful, the hypocrites. You say, man, that's harsh. Well, Jesus explains why, verse 47. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and did not prepare himself. Remember, that's the whole point. Jesus said, be therefore also prepared for you don't know when the Son of Man's coming. So that servant, so Peter goes, you talking to us, everybody? And he goes, Peter, forget about who I'm talking to and you just be prepared. (laughs) You just be prepared. Be the wise and faithful servant. Because this is what happens to people who aren't prepared. They shall be beaten with many stripes. He that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. Peter, for whatever reason, he tried to separate himself from the unfaithful crowd, but Jesus reminds Peter that greater light doesn't mean license to sin. It brings greater responsibility. And so while Jesus' warnings apply to everybody, they especially apply to Peter, is what he's telling him. Talking to us? Yeah, Peter, I'm talking to you. So be prepared. And therefore, he's talking to us. We must be prepared. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. God has entrusted much to you by the fact that you're here today. You've had light that other people don't have. You've been told things that other people maybe haven't heard. And the Bible says it's required of a steward to be found faithful. It's required for you to do something with that. Now, if you don't know the Lord today, then the requirement is you, you need to be born again. <laughs> you need to give your life to Christ. You need to turn, repent of your sins and give your life to Jesus. Follow him all your days. If you do know the Lord, then you need to be faithful. Be, be vigilant, be ready, and be at work while he waits, while he tarries. What's the specific stewardship that God's given to you? If you've received salvation, he's given you gifts. He's placed callings upon your life. And that doesn't mean you have to go and get a pulpit and do what I'm doing, but maybe it's to pray for people. That's your calling. You're going to be a prayer warrior every day. Or maybe it's to always encourage one person when you come to church on Sunday. I don't know. Maybe it's to send out an encouraging text to at least one person every day. Your gift is exhortation. I don't know what your gift is. But whatever it is, you need to be a faithful steward with it. It's required of stewards to be found faithful, to have our loins girded, our lamps lit, You know, it's interesting when we talk about God's gifts to us and the ministries he gives to us and faithfulness in those things, we don't usually think about the return of Christ. But scripture puts them together. 
In 1 Peter chapter 4, you can turn there if you like, but in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, we almost always disassociate the beginning of verse 7 with the rest of this teaching on God's gifts and being faithful with God's gifts. But 1 Peter 4, verse 7 starts with the phrase, but the end of all things is at hand. In other words, I'm coming soon. Christ is coming soon. The end is close. The end is near. And if it was near 2,000 years ago when he wrote that, it's near, wouldn't you say today? So we could say to us, but the end of all things is more at hand. Therefore, be sober. Don't be like the drunken servant who says, my Lord delays his coming. Be sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent love amongst yourselves, for love shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grumbling. And as every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God's grace has so many sides to it, so many facets to it, and he ministers to it in all the gifts that are represented here in this room. Be good stewards of the, whatever side of that grace God gave to you whatever gift he gave to you. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man serve, let him do it with the ability God gives to him. Why? That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Listen, you can't worry about what others' gifts or callings are and you can't think, well, Jesus probably isn't coming back today. I'll get serious about doing God's work tomorrow. We must instead be focused on loving others, which includes forgiving our our brothers and sisters when they wrong us. It includes being hospitable. We must cause others to glorify God by using the gifts he gave us to fulfill our place in his church. We must always remain vigilant against letting life become about things and forgetting his work. Because no matter how much we may have served God in the past, like Peter, we must prepare ourselves regularly for his return. Because it's imminent. And I guarantee you it's worth it. Amen? This would normally be the time when I would quit. But inevitably, when you teach a passage like this, I am asked if Jesus' words mean we can lose our salvation. That's always an awkward question when it comes to me because the nature of the question, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Like, for example, when I lose something, it implies I didn't intend to lose it, but I just wasn't careful enough to keep track of it. So like, you know, the idea, like I, I, lost, like I didn't wake up and go, I'm going gonna, gonna like to I'm gonna lose my keys. I'm going to misplace my keys on purpose. Here, son, go take my keys and hide them in the house because I want to spend the next two hours looking for them. I mean, and if you do do that, we have counseling from Tuesday through Thursday. <laughs> I would be happy to help relieve some of your stress. We don't do that. So losing, of course, implies you didn't intend to lose it. Salvation doesn't work like that. You know, it's like the Lord goes, where did you put your salvation? Go, I don't know, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where I left it. Give me a few more hours. I'm sure I'll find it. Well, that's, no, not enough time, you know. I mean, that, that's not how salvation works. You can't lose it. It's a gift from God. He promises to finish what he starts. And when you and I fail, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. It's who he is keeps his promises. So there's no sin, there's no failure that can cause God to take away your salvation. He doesn't give gifts and then demand them back. A better question to ask would probably be whether God's gift can be spurned after it's been received. That would be a better question to ask. Can it be hatefully abandoned? Well, the Bible clearly teaches we have a free will. It also frequently warns us against hatefully abandoning Christ. In fact, the entire book of Hebrews warns a group of struggling Christians that there's no salvation in the law or the sacrifices anymore if they leave Christ to go back to that religious system. So theoretically, it's possible to spurn Christ after having received him. 
Does that actually happen? Does anybody actually ever do that? It's not for me to decide, and it's not for me to worry about. That's God's problem. He alone knows. The point, then, is that Jesus' warning here isn't about that. (laughs) The point is, is it's a call to maturity. It's a call to continue in Christ. It's a call to holiness, to sanctification, to vigilance, to being prepared and faithful until he comes back, whether it happens in our lifetime or not. So the point is this. Are you answering that call to maturity, to vigilance, to faithfulness? Are you remaining vigilant against loving this present world? Are you being faithful to the tasks to use the gifts that he's given to you? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word because even hard things like this are necessary. Lord, you said every word of God is, is every, every part of scripture, every word of scripture is God-breathed, it's inspired. And it's profitable, it's necessary, it's what we need to become the fully equipped man of God or woman of God. So Lord, as we read through this, it's a, it's a hefty warning But Lord, again, every man that has this hope in himself purifies himself. And we don't have to worry about that. We just be a wise man, a wise woman, faithful servants who, Lord, we're using our gifts for your kingdom to bring glory to your name, loving our brothers and sisters, excitingly anticipating your imminent return. And in doing so, if you should return in our lifetime, you find us doing what we're supposed to be doing. That's our desire, Lord. So for every person here this morning who's kind of just saying, Lord, that's what I want. I want to be excited about your return. I don't want to love this present world, whether it's through covetousness or worry. I want to constantly be about your business, Lord. Whether I'm at my job, with my family, in the neighborhood, here at church, Lord, I want to be about your business, using my gifts for your glory. Lord, is there making that commitment to you and praying those things, Lord, would you fill them with your spirit? Will you equip them for the task at hand, Lord? Baptize them anew and afresh by your spirit. Give them power from on high. Lord, that we might knock down hell gates, take back ground from the enemy. Lord, we do pray that you'd come quickly. We choose to be faithful in the meantime. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.